You can turn in your Bible, if you have one, to Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23 this morning. And the text is also there in the bulletin on the next page. Here toward the end of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus is giving his hearers some final warnings to consider. Uh, He's calling us here to enter his kingdom by the narrow gate and by the difficult path. And that means relationship with him. Uh, Entering the kingdom of heaven and coming into a relationship with Jesus are the same thing, really. So he is the way to God. We come to God through him and through him alone as we come to know him in the scriptures. And Jesus knows it's easy for us to stray and wander from him. Uh, So in our passage this morning, we hear that it's possible to think that you're following Jesus, to be convinced that you're serving him, while in reality you live apart from him and you live actually contrary to God's will. Um, So there's a scenario in which you confidently assert that you are heading through the narrow gate on the path that leads to life, yet Jesus tells you um, that actually you're going through the wide gate down the road that leads to destruction. And in that scenario, it's a terrible surprise for you at the end. Uh, We can deceive ourselves so thoroughly about our spiritual life with God and only come to the realization of the truth when Jesus reveals it to us at the judgment on the last day. And this is a fearful thought, and it should be. It's a warning. At the same time, uh, it's good news that Jesus warns us about this, because warnings aren't just for, you know, sort of predicting an inevitable doom, as if Jesus were saying, oh, well, I guess you're lost. Sorry, not sorry. Um, No, warnings are for uh, pointing a way to safety. Pointing a way to, that's the point of the warning. Uh, So Jesus is saying, don't go that way. Come this way instead. Come to me and be saved from that. So let's consider his warning together this morning. Uh, Let's pray, then we'll read the scripture. Father, help us to hear what you have to say to us through your Son. Save us and make us new by the work of your Spirit as we consider this word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise be to you, O Christ. Uh, So Jesus says the most stunning, outrageous thing in such a casual way that we might miss it, actually, uh, for the general sense of fear that you might have reading a passage like this. Uh, But he says this, if you would seek to enter the kingdom of heaven, you'll be bringing your petition to me. Uh, He is the judge. That's what he's saying. He is the judge who will either welcome you into or dismiss you from the kingdom of heaven. So I realize uh, someone might not want to accept that. But it is what the scriptures teach and it is what Jesus teaches about himself He is the one who will judge all the living and the dead on the last day, when the heart will be brought into the true light of God. On that day, you will discover what Jesus knows about you. 
even though it means learning what you did not want to know about yourself. Jesus knows you more truly than you know yourself. That's clear from this passage. That is overwhelming to consider. It's confounding. How can it be that someone would know me better than I know myself? It's fearful. It's wonderful. How could it be possible that this man would know you better than you know yourself? It's because this man searches the heart, even as God does, and he judges with the righteous judgment of God. So it's a bold claim that Jesus makes here, and he doesn't ask what we think of it. He doesn't ask how it makes us feel. This isn't a claim that really is up for debate. He declares it with authority. Jesus is the Lord and the judge, and we are all at his mercy. So if you want to live with God, you come through Jesus. Entering the kingdom of heaven means coming to Jesus, who is the king. Now, there are many people who call Jesus Lord. They profess faith in him, and they talk about God with other people. And they help other people in his name. They would think of themselves as being Christians, yet the Lord knows that they don't belong to him because he knows us better than we know ourselves. So in the previous passage, uh, we heard Jesus talking about false teachers. Now he's saying there is such a thing as false believers, people who have deceived themselves about being his followers, about actually being in a relationship with him. So when these people, false believers, uh, when they find themselves standing before Jesus then their self-deception is exposed. They think they belong in Jesus' kingdom. They appeal to him as if they do belong in his kingdom, but Jesus knows otherwise, and he says otherwise. Jesus knows how people like this will appeal to him to enter his kingdom. They'll appeal to him based on things they have done that they consider to be impressive or worthy of his favor. They will ultimately locate their confidence in themselves. I belong in your kingdom because of what I have done. They locate their confidence in themselves and their own works. So he says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? They're earnest. They truly believe that Jesus should welcome them on the basis of what they've done for him. They did big things for God, and they, uh, they truly believe that Jesus should welcome them because of these big things. They, they would insist with Jesus. They would be insistent with Jesus that they did these big things for God in his name, even. They'll be truly and terribly surprised to hear Jesus say, no, you fooled yourself. You didn't fool me. You don't belong here. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness lawlessness, we did good things. We did big things. We did supernatural things. We did things that we thought you would be pleased with. These were good things. Apparently, Jesus says that people who claim to follow him, even those who do actually impressive, even miraculous level things in his name, can be workers of lawlessness that do not belong in his kingdom. He says that we cannot relate to him this way, the way that these false believers are relating to him. We cannot come to him this way. We cannot appeal to our own achievements. We cannot appeal to our own accomplishments 
even if they were ostensibly done in his name, even if we really believe we're doing good things to please him, we cannot relate to him in this way. This is not what a true relationship with him looks like. And that's really what this warning is about. That's where the place of safety is in true relationship with Jesus. That's what the self-deceived are missing. He says, I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. I never knew you. So in the scriptures, knowing is the language of relationship, right? One person knows another. That's the way the scriptures usually talk about it and usually use language like this. Knowing is the language of relationship. The remarkable thing about what Jesus says here is that he does not say, depart from me, you never really knew me. That would make sense to us. Your knowledge of him is not the ground of your salvation. Your entrance into the kingdom of heaven does not depend on your knowledge of him. It depends on his knowledge of you. So when you stand before Jesus in judgment, he's not going to ask you, what do you have to show for yourself? He's not going to ask you, what have you done for me? He won't even ask you, how well do you think you know me? The self-deceived would probably say, uh, I knew you pretty well. I had good theology. I taught others in your name. I prophesied in your name, remember? No, the, the question will be whether he has known you, which is ultimately something beyond your ability to control. Whether he has known you. You are at his mercy. You're at the mercy of whether Jesus knows you relationally. In fact, in the scriptures, uh, knowing especially as he's talking about it here. Knowing is the language not just of relationship, it's the language of intimate relationship. Right? A husband knows his wife in a uniquely close way. So the question is whether Jesus has an intimate relationship with you. That question is overwhelming. It's confounding, it's fearful, it's wonderful. How could you possibly know the answer to that question? You could only know it if Jesus tells you. And that means you're at his mercy. It means submitting to him. It means submitting to his knowledge of you, submitting to his judgment, submitting to his word. And he does tell us in his word what life looks like for those whom he knows intimately and personally. They do bear certain fruit in their lives because of their relationship uh, with, with him, because of his relationship with them. This, this fruit is not the ground on which he accepts you. It is the fruit of him truly knowing you. Right? So in the scriptures, knowing is the language not just of relationships, not just of intimate relationships. It's the language of fruitful, intimate relationships. A husband knows his wife And their relationship bears fruit. Children. So when Jesus knows you, your life bears fruit. That fruit is not seen in things like prophesying in his name. That fruit is not seen in things like casting out demons in his name or doing many mighty works in his name. As good and tremendous as those things are, the fruit of Jesus knowing you is love like his. That's the fruit of Jesus knowing you. When Jesus knows you, 
with a fruitful, intimate knowing. He pours his love into your heart through the gift of the Holy Spirit who's been given to you. It doesn't get more intimate than this. The sharing of his own spirit. Can you share your spirit with someone without it being intimate? The spirit by whom the Son is known and loved by the Father. The spirit by whom the Son knows and loves his Father. This is the spirit that he gives to you. So, 1 Corinthians 2, Paul says, For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So when Jesus shares his spirit with us, he's entering the most intimate relationship with us so that he knows us, even as he knows himself. And this Holy Spirit of God's love poured into our hearts produces the fruit of God's love in our, in our hearts and in our lives. So Jesus knowing us means a fruitful intimacy, and that fruit is love, which is the fulfillment of the law. It is the will of God, right? So remember in our passage, Jesus says, the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter the kingdom of heaven, and those whom he tells to depart were workers of lawlessness. They did not do the will of his Father who is in heaven. So the self-deceived thought they belonged in his kingdom, and their appeal was based on what they had done that they thought would be impressive to the Lord, to the judge, prophesying, casting out demons, doing many mighty works in his name. And Paul picks up, I think, on what Jesus is saying here in his famous chapter on love, the true fruit of the, the Spirit. In First Corinthians 13, he says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, I think prophesying, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So love, the true fruit of the Spirit, is the fruit of Jesus knowing you intimately. The fruit of Jesus getting into your life personally through his spirit. Jesus isn't saying that, uh, you know, you just need to figure out the right kind of petition to bring to him, the right way to petition him. Your application for entrance into the kingdom of heaven shouldn't reference doing big things for God. Your application for entrance into the kingdom of heaven should instead refer to how well you love people, right? No, he isn't, cha- he isn't teaching you how to write a resume or how to file an appeal before the judge that will please him. He isn't saying that your love will be the grounds for eternal life with God. He's saying that love, as wrought in you by his own spirit, will be the evidence that he has known you personally and intimately and relationally. Proof that he has set his love upon you, that he's been at work in your life, and that's what really matters. So ultimately, his mercy is our only hope and prayer. And we have every good reason to hope in his mercy. After all, he knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows our sin, and still he loved us and laid down his life for those who belong to him, for those who are his, for those he loves, to open the way to God for us through his sacrifice. So, so we submit to his mercy, and we pray for his mercy. That's our response to this warning of his, to pray for his mercy. We should pray... With David in Psalm 139, as Nathan read in our Old Testament reading, 
O Lord, you have searched me and known me. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Lead me in the way everlasting. That's our prayer. So children, go home and have your parents read Psalm 139 with you. Or if you can read it yourself, read it as your prayer. And place yourself at Jesus' mercy. Submit yourself to his judgment. Submit yourself to his knowledge of you. When you pray, that's what you're doing. You're placing yourself at his mercy. 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul says that the Lord knows those who are his. Open yourself up to him and pray that he would know you relationally. And that he would reveal to you that he does truly know you this way. Pray. Place yourself at his mercy. Pray that you would fear him as you ought. And that you would want him to be your judge and no one else. Pray that the center and source of your life would be him, not you. Pray that you would find your confidence now and in the day of judgment, not in yourself, not in your own works, not in your own understanding, but in his knowing you graciously and freely. Pray that you would find comfort and courage in Jesus knowing you in the precious multitude of his wonderful thoughts towards you. Jesus said in John chapter 10, I know my own And my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. So pray that the God of this mutual, intimate, fruitful knowing, Father and Son knowing each other in the communion of the Holy Spirit, pray that the God of mutual knowing would know you and relate to you, even as he relates to himself. Pray to be caught up into the life of the Trinity, that Jesus would know you through his own Spirit, that he would pour out His spirit of love into your heart, love for the Father and for the Son. Paul, again, in 1 Corinthians 8, says, If anyone loves God, he is known by God. So pray that this knowing, God's knowing you, pray that that his knowing you would be your salvation, it would change your life, that his knowing you would be a fruitful intimacy, that you would then bear fruit of love, love for God in your life. Pray that his knowing you would mean you're more interested in, than, than in just doing the right thing for God, but that you grow in your love and your care for others, even in his own sacrificial love, his own forgiving love. Pray to him that your joyful song now and throughout eternity would be, Jesus is Lord, and he knows me. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, we make our appeal to you on the basis of your mercy alone. We pray that you would know us. If we're to stand in your sight, you must know us. If we are going to love with a love like yours, you must know us. So know us, Lord, through your spirit. May your intimate knowledge of us bear true fruit in our lives. Help us to find our confidence in you. Help us to submit to your word and to believe your word and to find comfort and strength in your relationship with us and to love truly, even as we've been loved by you and known by you. We pray in your name. Amen.